when I opened the door, the first thing I noticed, it was this smell, this uh, stench. Then I started calling out the name of the person, the owner of the house, and he wouldn't answer. As I started getting closer to his room, it started getting worse and worse, the smell. I went straight into his room to see uh, the door was open. And then I, uh, when I looked, I saw something, you know, it was blood coming from the closet. Hi, I'm Wayne Jacobson, and this is my friend Lewis. The story of one of the most engaging men I've ever met, and of the friendship that developed between us. It has transformed both of our lives and left us in grateful awe at the adventure of life on this little planet. Finding a way to legalize status in the U.S. is constantly on Lewis's mind. It doesn't get easier the longer you live here, but more complicated, especially when you thought you'd already qualified for a green card. Sadly, this could have all been resolved for Lewis when he was 15 years old. Lewis's mother and his siblings were already in the U.S. when President Reagan offered amnesty in 1988 to undocumented immigrants in America. They all qualified and became permanent residents. If you remember at the time, Lewis was living alone in Mexico, and even though his brothers could have helped him out, they weren't willing to do so. And you have done everything you can to make your status legal here. Yes. Look at what happened on the amnesty, right? It's like an open amnesty. Anybody could apply and most of the people got in. I know how my brothers and sisters got their green card because of the, uh, the last amnesty. I had to stay behind, watch the house, the land, the crops. Somebody had to do the job and I guess it was me. Uh, none of my brothers who already had a green card, they could have said, look, I already have a green card. And when I go back, stay there for three or four months, take care of that so you can come in and do this. No, nobody said. These are the same brothers that uh, gave you manure for your birthday, right? Oh. <laughs> Living in the shadow takes its toll over time, not only in how vulnerable you are, but how restricted you are from building a life freely. Maria has not seen her parents since first coming to the U.S. And for that reason alone, they would love the status that would allow them to visit Mexico and return to their daughters here. They're reminded of that pain every few days when Maria calls her parents. Being able to go back and see where the place where you were born. Now, in my case, all my family is here, including my mother. My dad already passed away. But my wife, it really hurts me to see her cry when she talks to her parents and when she sees them, you know, on Skype. And when they see them, I told my wife and my daughter said the same thing. She said, Mom, when you guys Skype, don't Skype because when you Skype, you, they don't talk. They just look at each other and cry. And then they cry for like half an hour. And then my mother-in-law says, okay, mija, I'll, I'll see you soon, okay? And my wife, okay, mom, okay. That's all they talked. They just look at each other and cry. And, and it hurts me. I really want her to, to see them. It is amazing the power you have when you're an American citizen. Even when you're a resident, you have so much power it's amazing, you know, being able to come in and just show your documents and they tell you, welcome. 
Watching Lewis and Maria negotiate the difficulties of living in the U.S. without documentation has not been easy. They have taken great pains not to access government programs for health care or substance. By paying his own way, he is following the counsel he was given a long time ago. This is what Captain Herrera told me, okay? And my father, too, told me this. They said, look, son, one day you're going to go to the U.S., okay? When you go over there, they said, first of all, you're going to learn the language. It's not up to them to adapt to you. You have to adapt to them. You have to embrace the American way of life. But never forget your roots. Never forget your values, okay? Obey the laws and be part of the solution. That's what they told me, and that's what I'm trying to do. Now, is, does everybody have the same mentality? I don't know. I cannot speak for everybody, but that'll be awesome if, if we can all come in to the U.S. with the mentality of what, not what the, what the country can do for me, but what I can do for the country. JFK, you know? Every day presents new challenges. But there was one day in particular that will illustrate the tragedies and triumphs Lewis faces. He's about to take us through the worst day he faced since coming to the U.S. The entire day is filled with tragedy and disappointment that overwhelm him. And then an encounter at three in the morning the next day soothes over all those wounds. I still remember the first time he told me the story, the day after it happened, actually. As it kept unfolding, I was wondering why he was telling me the story and why he wasn't in as much pain as listening to the details of his day would indicate. It was tragic, certainly, and had deeply impacted him. At times, he would fight back the tears trying to retell it. But I could tell there was an undercurrent of excitement in his countenance as he moved through the day, as if there were some incredible secret that would turn this all around. I kept waiting for it even as the story kept getting darker and darker. I'm going to let Lewis tell it to you. And though it won't be easy to hear, until you appreciate the depth of his pain, you won't be able to celebrate how gloriously it all ends. We begin at his first job of the day, cleaning a small home for a very troubled man. The resident's father had hired Luisa Maria to clean his drug-addicted son's home since he found it impossible to care for himself. This was one of the worst days of my life. I started in the morning, okay? When we came in to, into this house to clean it, we kept ringing the bell and nobody answered. I called the owner and he wouldn't answer. Then I was told before, if the front door is not open, go through the back door. And in fact, the back door was open. When I opened the door, the first thing I noticed, it was this smell. There's a stench on the air. And, and, and I, I thought it was really weird. Then I, I automatically opened all the windows and then I let my wife in. Then I started calling out the name of the person, the owner of the house, and he wouldn't answer. As I started getting closer to his room, it started getting worse and worse, the smell. I went straight into his room to see uh, the door was open. And then I, uh, when I looked, I saw something, you know, it was blood coming from the closet. And then I was really afraid at that moment. Uh, I knew I, in my, the back of my mind, I said, oh no. I put in gloves real quick and then I kind of pick through my finger to open the, uh, the door a little bit more. And there he was, he hanged himself. 
my wife was like four or five steps behind me. So I turned around and I grabbed my wife and I said, let's go, let's go. So I took her outside and she, she was like, what, what was that smell? Did the cat die? She kept saying that, did the cat die? I said, don't worry about the cat. So I dialed 911. Uh, they came in right away. Obviously, obviously they said, you, can't, you guys cannot clean that house. They took my information. They asked me what happened, you know, what I saw and everything. This is the police, right? The police. Are you again concerned about the fact that you're... Then again, yes. Always concerned about what if, you know, they keep checking and say, uh, you know, immigration, you know, legal status on this country. They, uh, they went through everything, came and asked me with the doors open. I said, no, this one was locked. What about the back door? Was it open? I said, wasn't open, open. It was unlocked, but I opened it. They said, okay, what about the windows? They said, no, the windows I opened. They say, why? I said, for the smell to go away. I didn't know what was causing the smell, so I was just opening the windows automatically. Told them exactly what happened. How long had he been dead? Did they know? Four, five days, maybe. After they took my information, I gave, them a, I gave my, my testimony, and thank God, they let us go. That's how we started our day. After dealing with the police, Luis and Maria continued to the next home. There, they are interrupted by a desperate call from their eldest daughter working at a local bagel shop. She had just been torn apart by an encounter with a customer. Jennifer, she had a part-time job at a local bagel shop. She called me crying while I was at work. I'm on my break right now. I said, what happened? She says, well, this lady just starts screaming at me for no reason. And I said, what do you mean for no reason? Did you do something? She said, no, no. And, and, and I said, okay, tell me what happened. I said, well, she, she came in and she didn't even take took care of that customer. Somebody else did. But she kept saying that it was her. She grabbed the bagel and she tossed it on her face. When she told me that, I was very upset at that. I said, what did you do? I said, did you kick her out at the store? She says, no, she kept screaming at me, demanding I make her bagel the right way. And I said, did you tell her you didn't do it? She said, yes, but she, she, wouldn't, she, she wouldn't let out. She was uh, yelling uh, at her, not just obscene words, but also demeaning stuff, telling her to, uh, if you cannot do anything right here in the U.S., Stop wasting air and leave, leave it, you know, leave it for somebody else who, who's more useful than you. You can even make a bagel the right way. Of course, he calls her demeaning names. She calls her, uh, her being an American citizen. She starts telling her to go back to Mexico, uh, where she came from. First of all, I don't even know how she make out that she was Mexican, but she was right on that, though. I mean, it's Mexican descent. She's uh, American by birth. And uh, she kept calling her names. She said a couple of times this, this, and I didn't know it was a thing, uh, beaners. And, and I didn't know, I, that was the first time I heard it. And I was like, oh, really? Beaners? I said, oh, because we have beans. I said, well, I like beans. Very derogatory. Yeah. I, I, I was joking about it later on, but I didn't know that was, but she meant it in a, in a way that it was demeaning and, and, and to try to make her more upset about it. But yeah, it was very, that encounter was very, really racist. I, now that I think about it and everything, it was more like race motivated. I said, okay, well, did you call the manager? She said, he was on break. I said, okay, did you want to get him? Where was he? He says, he wasn't in the store. Then what happened later? She said, well, after screaming at me, uh, I was there with somebody else and the other person was new. 
So I was the only one left to deal with her. Did you give her her money back? She said she wouldn't want their money back. So I keep doing it the, the way she wanted it. She was making me really nervous and I keep making mistakes. And I was trying really hard and, and to the point that I couldn't no more. So I looked at her and I, I said, you know what? No, this is not right. You cannot treat me like this. Okay, I didn't do that. So you, I said, I'm going to ask you to leave. She would leave. And at that moment, that's when the manager walked in. And the manager at first was screaming at my daughter. That's what made me even more uh, upset. I was on speaker and I could hear him screaming at her. And, 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 and I was screaming back, you know, hoping that he can hear me. And then she explained to him what happened. And, and then she, he goes like, oh, oh, I apologize. I apologize. Then she turned to the lady and said, look, she didn't make the bagel. The manager said, I did it. How did you go from uh, this 6'5 male making your bagel to a 5'4 girl, teenager, making your bagel? I don't know how that happened. I couldn't uh, understand what was going on. Finally, my daughter, she said, I'm on break right now and I'm just venting. That's the reason she said, I'm I'm calling you so, so I can vent. I don't know what else to do. And I said, it's okay. We pray together. We cry together. Because at that moment, that's the only thing I could do. I mean, what can I tell her right now? We just cried. And after we, we finished talking, I, I, she says, okay, dad, I got to go back to work. And I, and I was like, okay, my daughter said, I love you. Okay, remember that. I love you. Jesus loves you. Never forget that. She says, I know, I know. She went back to work and she finished her day. Worn out from the day and emotionally exhausted, Lewis goes to his evening job to clean up after the school kids. Unaware of the pain he'd already suffered that day, his supervisor only piles on more. At night, I was working for a school slash, you know, church. So I was working as a janitor. I was working there uh, every day from like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. all the way out to 2 or 3 in the morning. I was extremely tired on that day. Plus, I learned when I dropped off my girls that they were mistreating them. And it was very unjust what they were doing, very un- extremely unfair and what happened. When I came into work, I was, I was frustrated and I was, uh, I was upset that they mistreated my, my daughters like that. And I was going to go talk to them. But when I walked them, before I even talked to them, they called me into the, uh, into the office. They used to, do, used to leave a, a, a note on my, on my time card. It says, for you, Ponchen, not after, please come and see me. You know, the person that left it. It's, this case was the uh, office manager. I went to talk to her. I, she said, oh, walk with me. So I started walking and she said, see this toilet? I said, yes. She said, look dirty. I said, okay. Then she went to another one. She said, see that toilet? Yes. I said, dirty. I said, okay. And then I looked at it and she says, and all of, most of them dirty. And she says, what's going on? I, I looked at her and I said, uh, of course they're dirty. I'm here to clean them. She says, yes. And I said, what, okay, what is your point? She says, they're dirty. And I said, yes, but I cleaned them yesterday. 
that were used throughout the day today. That's why I'm here today to clean them. She couldn't, I don't know, she couldn't register that, that she said, never mind, I was doing a bad work. She, she said, you know what? She said, okay, I just don't want to see that again. I said, oh, of course you're going to see it because, you know, I, I said, look, if after I'm done cleaning, if you see them dirty, then please let me know. Then, uh, yeah, of course, that, that's on me. But a day later after they use them, how does that make sense? Just say, don't talk back to me. You know, kind of like I said, okay. Okay, I said, look, I'm saying this with the most respectful way I can. Uh, but uh, okay, I was already uh, upset about what happened with my girls. I brought it up while I was there because I was already mad. So I, I told them about it and, and uh, she, she denied it. And she put the blame on me saying that uh, if I raised them better. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, all right. At that moment, I said, you know what? This, 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 this is not working out. This, I don't need this. After I finished uh, cleaning the entire church and school, I finished around 3 a.m. I remember this very, very vividly because all the light poles, they, the light, the electricity goes off at 12 a.m. There was no moon. There was no full moon, nothing like that. It was pitch black. That when I turned, turned off the last light, I keep looking at the way where I was going to go so I can have a mental picture it's in, and not to crash on any walls or anything. So I was like, okay, that's where, what I'm going to take, that path. Okay. I turned the light off and everything, like I have to, my eyes have to adjust to the dark. So I, I close the door and I, and I stand there for like a minute. And when I was there, it was, I waved at my hand in front of my face. I couldn't even see it. And I, I started crying. I don't know, that darkness for some reason made me so more emotional, I guess. And I started crying at everything. And I just started calling out uh, on God right there. From the moment I get out, I started walking and I started feeling for the walls and touching it. Once I got to the, the parking lot, you know, I know because there, there was no more walls. Then I, my eyes started to clear more and I could see a little bit better. And I could make out the, uh, the lines that dividing the parking lot. So I, I walked to my, my, to my truck. I opened it and then I, I sit on my truck for like 10 more minutes crying. When I got home, my wife was sleeping and my daughters were sleeping and there was a little bit of food on, a, on, a, on the table for me. And my wife left a, a, a little note saying, for you, my beloved. When I looked at that, I, mean, I started crying more. And then I, I looked at the, the room of my girls and they were sleeping. And then my wife, she was sleeping. I started eating the food and the dogs ate most of it because they were there begging. And I was like, oh, crying and eating here, 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 giving it to the dogs. But anyways, I, I couldn't take it. So I, I, one part of me was kind of like not mad at God, but I wanted to bring that to his attention. I said, okay, okay, this is so unfair. This is an injustice. I said, you are a just judge. I mean, you, I mean, you are judge you're righteous you are a righteous judge so i'm going to bring this to your to your throne i want to bring this to to your chambers and, and tell you exactly what happened and I, I even said it i said not that you don't know what happened but i just want to tell you not that you don't know how i feel but i just want to vent i want to talk to you about this so i went outside and i started crying out to god and then i was i at one point i, I got really desperate and i said jesus can you hear me and then i switched gears and started talking to him in spanish 
I, I start saying, Jesus, me escuchas? Jesus, Jesus, can you hear me? Jesus. And then I start screaming out, outside of my little patio. Where, where I live, there's a, there's a wall and there's a little sidewalk at the other side. That's for the public to walk by. And there are some houses on the side. And I started screaming, Jesus, Jesus. And all of a sudden, I stopped talking because the silence got broken by this kind of like cold and, and very deep voice that says, in Spanish, like really slang Spanish, that says, que quieres? Not even say que quieres. No, he said que quieres. That's really slang. And th that means, what do you want? I really, I was really shocked. I was blown away when I heard that. And then I said, like, and I said it again, Jesus? It is tú or Jesus, is that you? And then the voice said, yes, I am Jesus. Or si, yo soy Jesus. ¿Qué quieres? What do you want? And then I, I followed the sound of the voice and it was coming from the other side of the wall. So, so when I look over and, and I was expecting to see Jesus, Jesus, I was expecting to see him on a white robe. And, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, uh, surrounded by his glory and, and kind of like fluorescent or something like that. Kind of like, I don't know, illuminating or something. And then I turn around and I see this, uh, this kind of like little guy. And there I could see it because there's a light pole on the street, uh, a street light. And then I saw and I look around and he was looking up, kind of like shorter guy. And, and I was looking and he startled me and I startled him too. And then, and, then, and then I looked out and I said, who are you? And he said, yo soy Jesus. I am Jesus. You know, it's Jesse, you know, but in Spanish it's Jesus. And then he, he looked up and he says, what do you want? Why do you call me? I, I said, oh, I see what's going on. I said, I thought you were Jesus, Jesus, you know, because I was called out to Jesus. And he says, how funny. I thought you were God. He says, because I thought, I thought you were God calling my name. And I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, because when I was walking by, I was asking, you know, about my family in Mexico and how would they be doing? He says, so I thought it was you calling me to tell me about it. And, and then I, right there, we started, both of us, we started laughing. We laughed for like probably five, I don't know, 10 minutes. And we started talking and he started telling me who he was and what he was doing, walking at, at uh, you know, almost 4 a.m. in the morning. And he was working at a little restaurant, Mexican restaurant down the street and how he passes there at the same time. After we have a laugh together and we kept talking, he pulled a burrito from, uh, from, uh, from his little backpack. He, he cut it right there with his hands. You know, he, he, he broke it in half. I remember it was kind of funny because he put him right, right next to the other like this. And he says, I think I got him even. He says, here, two, I think this one's bigger. He says, here, you take the bigger piece, he says, because you're bigger. You're probably hung, more hungry than I am. And then we shared that burrito there. With, uh, we ate together right there. So the worst day of your life, you end up sharing a burrito with Jesus in the, in the early morning hours. The worst day of my life ended up being the best. When I was calling out, crying out to Jesus, I was like, what else can happen to me? What else can the enemy throw at me? And by that way, he showed me that he's watching me. He's, he sees us. He hears us. And he cares. He loves us. On the most funniest way, he, uh, he showed up. 
I love that. I love that ends up with just the worst day of your life ends up with laughter at the end of it and joy and a burrito with someone. He thought you were God and you thought he was Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said, he said, you really scared me. And, and he says the reason he didn't run is because he said, I couldn't. I said, what do you mean? He said, I tried, but I was froze. I was froze with fear. He says, who hears that in the middle of the night? Who hears that? And I said, oh, okay. No, he, he shocked me too. He scared me too. So after that, we strike a friendship and we kept talking about it. From there, I kept talking about Jesus to Jesus. I keep talking about Jesus to Jesse or Jesus in Spanish. Every, every time he'll walk by, he'll scream, amigo, amigo, estás ahí? Which means amigo, are you there? Friend, are you there? And then uh, usually I'm coming from work or if I'm there, I just, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I was at that point, I was kind of waiting for him so we can talk. And then I'll, I'll say, yeah, yeah, I am. And, he, and he'll put a burrito on, on top of the wall like this. He, he jumped because he was kind of short. So he'll jump and put it, put it kind of like on top of the, uh, the brick wall. And then I'll pick up the burrito and say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to do that. And he says, oh, it's okay. He said, he always gave me the same reason. He says, I was, I was finishing my work and I said, my friend Luis is probably hungry. So I'm going to take a burrito to my friend Luis. That happened for, for a while, for like maybe two or three more months. If I wasn't there, if I was working, when I came home, the first thing I do, because my daughters and my wife were sleeping, I go to the wall and look, and there was a burrito right on top of it. I knew that he walked by and he left me the burrito. One time he came in with uh, with this guy and the guy was looking at me and he was like, and he he reached off the wall and he says, oh, hi, he shook my head. And then, and I said, hi, but he looked like really hyper. Uh, he looked like really excited, kind of like a puppy, you know, like a, when, when a puppy is really happy to see his master, whatever. And he looked different. And, and then I looked at Jesus and I said, what's up with this guy here? So I, th I thought he had a, a too much coffee. I said, you got too much coffee, buddy? And he just smiled. He said, no. So, and then, then we start talking, right? And and then he gave me the burrito. He, he said, I work there. I work there a lot. He said, at a Mexican restaurant down the street from my house. So, so we start talking. And then the guy kept looking at me when I was talking. And really, he was really, he had, he was paying really close attention to what I was saying. But he was looking at me. The way he was looking at me, I thought I was getting freaked out. Because he was looking at me like really attentive. He was like, yeah, really interested in what I had to say. After talking for a while, Jesus looked at the guy and he, and he looked at him and he says, he says, oh, you have to go? He said, yeah, 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 I do. And then he shook my hand and he says, it's so happy. I'm so happy to see you. And I'm like, and I said, okay, yeah, same here, buddy. But I thought it was weird. So he just starts walking, he turns around and he looks at me, he smiles and waves. And I said, I waved at him and I was like, okay. And, and then I asked Jesus and I said, uh, what's, what's, what's with, with your friend here? What's going on with the guy? It's freaking me out. And he says, no, nothing. He says, I told him I was going to stop by. He, he, wanted to, he wanted to see you. He didn't say he wanted to meet you. He says he wanted to see you. I said, okay. Uh, he said, what you told him about me? He says, no, no, you told him that we're good friends and you're a great guy and you're a good, and you're a great man. I said, oh, okay. So he left and that was the last time I saw Jesus. I never saw him again. 
uh, and I didn't know what happened to him. Until one day, my daughter got invited to a birthday party and then I took her there. And there were more parents sitting down in a table. They started talking. The conversation wasn't even with me. It was between somebody else, but I overheard it. One person says, hey, you know, it's really sad what happened to, to, uh, to Jesus. He says, yeah, what is it really bad? And I was like, well, Jesus? And they kept talking. He says, yeah, it, it, was, it was hard how they, immigration went to work and picked them up and, the, and deported him. They're like, oh, poor guy. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel so bad for him. He says, but, you know, he, whatever happened? And then he says, oh, he went to his, to his family. When he said that, I was like, wait, are you talking about a short guy, you know, that used to work on uh, this, this uh, Mexican restaurant that, down the street? And I gave him the name. And he says, yeah, 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 that's him. He says, he used to rent a, a room in, in, in my house. I said, really? Yeah. And he said, he said I, was, I was wondering whatever happened to him. What do you mean? Do you know him? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, we used to talk every morning. He says, that's right. You're Luis, right? I said, yeah. I said, he used to talk about you too. He says, he, he made a friend. And he said, and I said, really? He says, yeah. He says, he was sent by God. And he says, he really appreciate you because he was, it was, you were sent by God to talk to him. And I said, yeah, he was sent by Jesus to talk to me too. And then he started laughing. He's, he, I didn't really tell him the entire story about how it happened. We started laughing. And then I said, what, what, what happened to him? And he says, oh, well, he, uh, he got deported back to Oaxaca. Great man, great man. He says, he would just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I said, well, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you ever talk to him or if does he left stuff, he said, yeah, I left some of his stuff here. I said, if you want, I can try to find his address. I can try to send it back to him. Uh, I don't know how much it is, but I'll try to pay for his freight. He says, oh, we, uh, we can share, we can split it. So we send his uh, belongings back to Mexico. I don't know, Jesus was there for like four months, right? When the guy said that he got deported, right? I start talking about it. Wait, I said, uh, uh, do you have any pictures with, with the guy? He says, yeah, look, we're playing soccer here. He showed me this guy, he was really tall. And, and I said, I said, no, 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 no. This is not a Jesus. Jesus is more like, and I describe Jesus and he says, no, 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 it's not, no, no. I don't know who you're talking about. So I said, I got to go back to, to the Mexican restaurants down the street from where I live. I went over there and I went and uh, I bought a burrito and then I asked them and I said, but uh, that place, it's been open for like, gosh, I don't know, maybe like 10 years or so. This happened around what, 2016? Uh, it was uh, open kind of like kinda like two or three years that it was open or four. So I asked, I asked them, I said, hey, listen, do you guys ever had a guy named Jesus uh, working and, and, and he looks like this? And he goes like, uh, no, we don't. I said, what do you mean you don't? He worked here, right? And, and he looked like this. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you see, he says, I'm the original manager from when we opened. And all these people you see here, they're all been here. We haven't hired anybody yet anybody else. What you see is what, what all we have. So I said, okay. I said, well, maybe I got the wrong Mexican restaurant. And he says, this is the only Mexican restaurant here. There's other places. So I started looking, there's uh, two uh, Japanese restaurants. So I went in there and asked them, hey, do you guys have a name guys Jesus? No, no. So I keep looking all the way around and I couldn't find anything and there's nothing around.
Lewis never discovered where Jesus worked or any more about him. He's confused by the descriptions other people gave, which didn't match the Jesus he had spent so many nights with outside his home. It has remained one of those inexplicable events in his life. But after we recorded the story in episode 5 of Raphael appearing in the back of a trailer rig to rescue Lewis from the cartel, I asked him if that was the last time he saw Rafa. He said it was, except for the occasional dream in which Rafa will appear. I'd heard those before, but he told me that night in the trailer rig was the last time he saw him physically. As he finished that last sentence, I could tell his eyes were searching mine as if he had more to say. Then a strange smile creased his face. He definitely had more to say, but he wasn't sure how I would respond to it. I waited. And then he told me after this last encounter with Jesus and the friend he had brought to meet Louis, he had had a dream with Raphael. On that night, I had a dream. In the dream, I could see myself as a third person. And Rafa appears right there, right next to me on the dream, looking at that. And, and he says, oh, I remember. I remember that day. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. You were here. He says, yeah, I was. But I said, yeah, you're always here. He says, yes, I was. I'm always here. Yes. He said, I said, yeah, but I, I didn't see you. He says, no, you didn't see me right there. I was like, what? That was you? He said, yes, that was me. In the dream, he was telling me that. And I looked at him in the dream. I was looking at him and I was like, oh, really? And I said, that explained why you were so acting like a weirdo. He grabbed my shoulder. He said, "It's so, it was so nice to finally see you and talk to you and shake your hand. It felt so good. He said, so I asked. I, I asked I asked to come and see you. And I said, that was you? He said, I said, that explains a lot. I said, I thought you either you were like, I don't know, maybe you were on something or you had a lot of coffee. Because you were freaking me out, man. It's like you were a, a fan of me or something. He said, yeah, I'm a fan of you. He said, yeah, I love, I really enjoy your company. I said, that's why I was so thrilled and happy to see you. That got me really thinking that, you know, the, uh, the love that they feel for you, the love that God feel, feels for you, and it really got me thinking that, look at that. I, I was like, and I didn't see you? So how many times have I not seen you and you're there? I said, uh, if you need to see me, you will. So that was the last time I saw him without knowing I was seeing him. I know, it's hard to believe. As we parted that day, Lewis winked at me and said, I want you to meet my friend someday. It took me a minute to realize who he was talking about. Rafa, I asked to be certain. A smile beamed across his face. I hope it happens. I do too. I'd love to meet Rafa or Jesus and do some sorting out on my own. But I have no reason to doubt these stories. I believe in angels and have seen them both as celestial beings on this planet. And I've been helped by people who made me wonder later if they were angels in human form. Scripture says that in our hospitality to others, we can entertain angels unawares. And said that anytime we visit someone in prison, clothe the naked or feed the hungry, that we are in fact doing those things to him. Not for him, 
but to him. He makes himself known in the least of these. I won't be surprised someday if Lewis calls me up to meet him somewhere, and there will be a third party there. But it has not happened yet. If it does, it might merit a whole new episode for my friend Lewis. And I do admit that I occasionally keep an eye out during my four-mile walk every day, just in case I spot someone in those telltale Converse running shoes and white t-shirt. Then I'll be calling Lewis. Life is full of mystery. And though I don't seek out such experiences, I also don't want to miss them when they come my way. Sometimes, in very simple ways, God makes himself known to us in things we might pass off as coincidence. Or maybe we don't even look deep enough to see that. None of this is easy, of course. Things will soon come to a head at the church and school Lewis cleans every day. It will lead to some difficult choices, and yet another encounter with law enforcement. We'll also talk about how he reconciles his honesty and character with continuing to live in a country without the appropriate documentation. Next time on My Friend Lewis. When I drove by, there was a police officer there. And as I drove by, and I looked over to look at him, and he looked at me, and I just waved like this. As I kept driving, I was doing like 30, 35 miles per hour. I got this thought on my mind, and, and I, I thought, hmm, it'll be funny if he pulls me over. As soon as I'm thinking that, I look at my rearview mirror, and he's turning around and right behind me. And I'm like, oh, really? As soon as I, I start turning, he turns on his lights and pulled me over. So I, I got pulled over and I started laughing, you know, just laughing. My Friend Lewis is a production of Blue Sheep Media in association with Lifestream.org. Copyright 2021 by Wayne Jacobson. All rights reserved. Produced by Ken Joy for Ken Joy Media.